Hi, I'm Christy, and I'm a grateful member of Alti. And I would like to introduce my mom. And I have seen my mom through the last about six years come through this program. And I have seen us together grow stronger with the program and closer than we ever have before. And how close we are today is because how hard she has worked in the program and how much I have been able to respect her and how much closer we are and that today she's not as crazy as she used to be. <laughs> but today I would like to introduce my mom and the most important person to me. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I'm Bridget and I'm a grateful member of Al-Anon. You met my daughter Christy. And I'm really proud of her. And yes, the program has given me a lot. I need to thank Kate for inviting me. And like I said, I definitely be a grateful member of Al-Anon. And I had to learn the meaning of grateful. Because I had no idea you can belong to a group of people, be affected by somebody else's drinking, which is alcoholism, and being grateful for that. It's kind of sick. But uh, that's what alcoholism took for me, to see how sick I was, to finally be willing to join the program and become healthy and become better. Let me tell you just a little bit about myself so you get the idea where I'm coming from and how my life was like my experience, strength, and hope. And I do have a lot of hope, and I always had a lot of hope. I'm a very positive person. Um, I was born and raised in Germany. My parents were just simple working people. My daddy was a carpenter, and my mom was a housewife for the longest time. And then she joined the workforce because we want to have a house and you know how that goes. Nowadays, you have to have two incomes. One just doesn't cut it. <laughs> so even way back then in Germany, we needed two incomes. Um, I did have, I do have an older sister. She's three years older than I am. And we had a lot of fun times and a lot of downtimes. And I think she has a lot to do with it, that what I became today. I am a caretaker. And I think my sister had something to do with it. Not that I want to blame anybody, but I truly think she does. And it started way back. When, when I was born, I was a little too early. So my mom brought me home from the hospital, and sure enough, she put me in my sister's bed, because mine wasn't ready. But you know, my sister didn't like that, and she got furious, she got mad. I mean, she yelled and screamed, and she wanted me out of there. And you know, it continued that way. I was about one and a half, two years old, and we were playing. And we lived in a little apartment on the first floor. And I really don't remember that really well, but my mom knew that, and she told me that. So we were sitting up by the window, Simpson playing, and sure enough, my sister kicked me out of the window. So she really didn't want me. I don't know. But you know, we did go attached, and we are a family, and I love her dearly, and I learned a lot through her. And in a way, I'm grateful for that. Well, like I was saying, I was raised in Germany. And it was a pretty normal life, what I thought. My daddy drank once in a while. He had a beer here and a beer here. 
But it seemed for Germans is pretty normal. We had beer with supper and wine, and it was pretty okay. I really never see my daddy falling around being drunk, and he took care of the bills, and he did what a father is supposed to do. That's what I thought. Uh, he was a really strict father. He had rules, and we had to obey. I was pretty good at it because I was the baby. My sister wasn't too good at it. She was a little rebel. She came home late, and she got in trouble. She got spanked, and I was crying. <laughs> and I don't know. It never seemed to face her, you know. She just went out a little more. She went out. She drank a lot. She had a lot of different friends, and she did a lot of things my family just wouldn't approve of. Uh, but of course, nobody could stop her. And that's probably why I turned out to be the nicer and the mellow one, because my sister already wired up the whole family, and I was not allowed to do that. I didn't want to do that. I want to be nice. So I was quiet and sit back and watched her. And a lot of times, I did admire her. I thought it was cool, you know. She could do that. She could out go party and come home late. And no, she's supposed to be home early. And she was standing in front of my dad and say, "Huh," and I don't care. And I thought, "Wow, that's pretty cool." Of course, it's not cool no more. After I had kids on my own, I figured out you don't do that. But you know, my dad and my mom really never said that they were concerned. They just said. You know there's rules, and you're supposed to be home at ten o'clock, and you won, and now you're in trouble. So I never got that part, you know, that loving, caring. I mean, I know he loved us dearly, and I know he cared, but my dad definitely, really, never showed it that well. He showed it more when he got older, and I guess when you get older, you be more open to show your feelings. So that's that's why I know, and I'm convinced he loved us dearly. But when we were raised and when we were grown up, he was just tough, and he was. He really didn't have to say much. He looked at us, and we know, hey, you don't do that. That's that's wrong. But life was still pretty good as a kid. Uh, our family used to do almost everything together. And when I grew up and had my own family, and it wasn't quite that way, it was different, you know. Somehow, I had that picture in my mind, you know, that little house with that picket white fence, like you always heard, the one and a half kids and the dog, and life is fine. I was really going for that. I was hoping for that. I used to read a lot when I was a teenager, and I used to read love stories. And I just know my life is going to be that. You know, they always be really messy in the front, and then there's always a happy ending. So I know my life will have a happy ending. Period. It just had to be that way. I was convinced, and I will make it work. No, my life wasn't that way, not at all. Well, I was pretty young when I married my first time. Um, well, I was a teenager, and I had to experience life, and I thought everything is going to be terrific. There was no concern about AIDS and everything in my time. There was everything pretty good and pretty okay, and sure enough, I was the pregnant one. So, my parents decided, and it was amazing. I was 17, and I was married, and nobody never asked me. It never crossed my mind, you know. I just thought, okay, you pregnant? That will be your husband. You're gonna have a kid, and that's the way it is. And it seemed like my mother and my mother-in-law to be enjoyed taking me out and buy me the dress and get everything for the ready and got it all ready and got it all wrong. And yes, I was married. And it seemed to be okay because my parents said it's okay, so it was okay. And this time when I was married, I was living in my parents' house. My daddy built us that huge 
three-floor house with a basement. And he planned that my parents live downstairs, my sister, the oldest one, live in the middle, and I'm the little one, live all the way on the top. And you know, it really happened that way. It was amazing. I lived all the way up there on top. I had a cute little apartment, and I had a husband, drunk a lot, and I was young and totally stupid, and I had no idea what life was about. But the good thing was, my mom was close by. And she did. She was staying close by. She was a building babysitter. So yes, we could go out and party and drink. It used to be pretty fun for a while. We used to go out and it used to be pretty okay. But you know, that person I married was a pretty nice person. But when he drunk, my gosh, he became Superman. He became that person who had to pick the fight. And he did. And it was so embarrassing, you know. We go out to the bar, play pool, and there was somebody just looking at him. And he started yelling at him, you know, what in the F do you want? Do you have a problem with me? And I was just getting smaller and smaller. And gosh, it was, it was deadly embarrassing, you know. It wasn't funny at all. And I thought, well, you know, maybe he's going to crawl out of it. That's what my mom always said. Maybe it's going to be okay. And you know, it, it didn't end okay. The drinking got more. And he was a kind of a violent person. And I don't know, he was a sad person. And it was just not fun, you know. I mean, he couldn't hold his liquor. I mean, how can you deal with a person who drinks a bunch and vomits all over the place? And he didn't even want to pick it up, you know, because he was passed out, so big deal. So I don't know. This wasn't just lasting very long. It was a very sad deal. And there was a lot of arguments. And I thought I really learned a good lesson when I came out of that marriage because I know I'm not going to do that again. Because my life will not be that way. And my daughter, what I had at this time, I thought uh, she shouldn't have to live that way. It, it's just not a good way to be that way. Because like I say, my family wasn't that way. And I had no idea. So well, that marriage ended. And I did pretty okay. I had a really decent job, a good paying job. And I raised that kid. And I had a lot of friends. And I still was visiting my family, of course. And you know, life was pretty okay. And I thought, yeah, I can do that. I was pretty neat. I had no idea then that anything was wrong with me. Because somehow in my mind, from way back, I seemed to be perfect. My mom planted it in my mind and I kept that there. Because I just know I was pretty okay and everybody else probably was not quite alright, but maybe they get in there too, you know. So well, my life continued pretty well. And I met another nice human being. And this one was definitely different than the one before. So I thought, okay, since he was different, it should be a totally different relationship. And I was really careful to get into that one because I'm not getting in a mess like this again. Uh, but my mom and dad didn't think it was a good idea. And that made me think it must be really good. If you think it doesn't work, it will work. Because it will work for me. I know it will work for me. I'm different. I definitely know I'm different. And I did. And you know, I cannot believe how stupid I was, but yes, I did. I went into that relationship. And that was even worse. And I guess, you know, God always tried to show me the way and he gave me all those signs and <laughs> I just didn't see it, I couldn't see it because I was so perfect and so good. And like I said, I just know it's going to be just fine. How ignorant, you know, amazing. <laughs> well, that marriage didn't last long either. That was a violent marriage. Like I said, there was even another learning experience. So, I mean, by that time I thought I should have learned quite a lot, you know. I mean... It was way, way out there, way, way out there. 
And after that relationship, I just definitely know I can do perfectly fine on my own, raising the kid, because I know I could. So I don't need to deal with any of those men's, I just let them be where they are, and I mind my business totally. And yes, I did that. I did that for quite a while, and life was going still okay. I always had my family in the background, I always had good friends. I mean, I was back home in Germany, I know what I was doing, it worked out okay, you know. And then came my true alcoholic, how I would call him now, because that's the person I was married to, from which whom he told me that he was the alcoholic. So I could really say he was the alcoholic, because the people prior I met, I know there was a problem drinker, and the other one I know was a junkie, but never that he told me that. But I know that, I learned that, you know. So well, and I met that adorable person. He was just so nice and so friendly and so everything. And I thought, oh, that's okay. We can have a good time. We can go out. We can see each other. But you know, you don't have to get serious because I wasn't intended to be serious no more forever because that was past. That didn't work. It's trouble and I'm not going to do that. So we did. And you know, amazingly, there was a lot of partying. We had people over, we played cards, there was a lot of drinking. We played pool, there was a lot of drinking. There was always drinking. But like I say, as a German, I guess, and I don't know if I can generalize it, but in my opinion, uh, a beer in somebody's hand didn't seem to be a problem. You know, I would have wondered if somebody would have had a bottle of Jim Beam in their hand. That would be really a sign of maybe that person drinks. But you know, beer, I don't know, it never... I mean, now it puts up the road the red flag, you know, like saying, boo, look at that. <laughs> Ten o'clock in the morning, that guy is drinking, oh, oh, no way, you know. But like I say, way back then, it never crossed my mind. It was so normal. It was a way, in my eyes, you socialize, you know. You sit down, you drink, you play cards, you have a good time. And it went like this for a while. I was married to that person for about 15 years. And quite frankly, the first 10 years went okay. You know, we had the same goals in a way. We wanted a family. Um, we tried to save money. We tried to do the best. And you know, we started out that way. So I thought, my goodness, that person is really terrific. And after a year being together with that person, we both decided, hey, we can go married because we want a family. Let's make it all legal, get married and have a family. And I really honestly thought that person would be okay. But you know, then I didn't know. You'd be born an alcoholic. And just later on, you see what an alcoholic really was, you know. So I had no idea there. And we did pretty good. We got married up in Denmark and we had our daughter, which you just met, Christy which I'm so grateful to have her because she is so much like her daddy and sometimes frightening. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> and yeah, we got married over there and it was terrific. I thought life is exactly how it's supposed to be. My parents just loved that guy. It was neat. I remember the first evening I brought him home. He was sitting with us on the kitchen table and we Germans do have different eating habits. Our supper is different than you guys, as I'm sorry to say. But you know, it was funny. Because my husband, David was his name, was sitting on a table and fixing an American sandwich. 
which is pretty cool. You know, you just put some cheese, some sausage, some cold cuts. I mean, you put it all on one, slap it together, and then you eat it. See, Germans don't do that. Germans had a slice of bread, put butter on there, and then depending on what you want, you put cold cut or you put cheese. Only one of them, too. My mom was sitting there, and she was watching that guy. And she was watching him close. And you know, after we were done with supper, she turned to me and she said, you know what, Bridget, if he's really that hungry and that poor, you could tell him he can have more than one slice. <laughs> and I thought, oh, Lord, my God. But you know, we had two different worlds. I mean, we had a true American and we had a true German. And it was just hilarious. It was so funny. And my parents didn't speak English. Not a bit. My mom went to school to learn English, to be able to communicate. I thought it was really cool. But my daddy never needed to because my daddy drank that social beer in the afternoon, you know. So my husband and my dad were sitting out on the porch. He was spit shining his boots and he was drinking and my daddy was sitting and he was drinking and they both were talking. And he had a talk of a lifetime. And I can't understand how come they were able to understand each other. Because like I say, David didn't speak German and my dad didn't speak English. But it was amazing, you know, and he had a ball. And like I say, they all just loved David. David was the highlight for them. And they all said, yes, that was a perfect pick. He's such a nice guy and he's so friendly and such a family person. And yes, he was. He truly was. And that's what I believe in my mind. You know, alcoholics are just terrific people. And if you got a couple here, hey, you guys know. You guys are terrific. But like I say, you know, if you're still practicing and not being sober, the family will know. And that's, that's where I went. Life was pretty okay, and the first two years we spent in Germany, and then we moved to Georgia because the military sent us there. And Georgia was still pretty okay. When we came to Georgia, that was the first time ever in my life I seen a flying cockroach. <laughs> Scared the deal out of me. I was sitting in the kitchen on the sink. Can you believe that? It was about that big. And I walked into the kitchen with my daughter, Christy. She was a baby on my arm, and I seen that thing. And I had no idea what it was. I know what a mouse was, but I know it wasn't a mouse. And I couldn't kill it. And I thought, oh my gosh, what in the world did I put myself into? And uh, times like this passed too. And it was still okay. We had good neighbors. One of my neighbors was a German. And we had a couple of neighbors with kids. So I was this housewife and babysitting to make extra money. And my husband belonged to the military and he was attending and he was doing okay. Um, there was drinking still going on, like always. Um, but there was still like the weekends, you know, there was still in between a day or two where there was no drinking in the house. And I was still okay. Problems didn't occur yet. Everything worked somewhat. My daughter became very ill. She was about one and a half year old. She developed a septic hip, it was called back there. So that means she was a tiny little one. She was hardly walking and one morning she woke up and she couldn't walk and she had eye fever. And we went to the military doctor and the military doctor told me she got an ear infection. Which made sense. The kid couldn't walk and she had an ear infection, you know. But you know, that's, that's what people you deal with sometimes. And it, it's just, like I say, amazing. Well, we didn't get no satisfaction from those doctors, and we were in Georgia, and my daughter didn't get better, the temperature went up, and like I say, at this time, 
my husband David was still working and functioning well and he helped. So we took that kid into the hospital. And you know, that was the first time looking back when I really noticed there was some not quite right. Because that part brings me back to a couple of days prior to that. My daughter loved to eat french fries and cheeseburgers when she was tiny. And I guess she got that from my dad. He loved that too. But well, you know, and we were all traveling that one afternoon and she wanted french fries. And you know, the amazing thing was that straight came over to me. My husband said, you know, we really don't have money to spend on that stuff. Let's not do that. And it never dawned on me. The same drive home, he picked up a six-pack. You know, there was the money for that, but there was not the money for what the kid wanted. And my mind already seemed to be so occupied and not quite in reality. It not even crossed my mind. But you know, that came to me when my daughter was in the hospital when she had to have emergency surgery that same night and I was devastated and I thought, oh my goodness, you know, I don't even could give her that, but he had beer, you know, and I started thinking. But like I say, I had no idea what alcoholism was. I had no idea how it affects the whole family. I can see it now because now looking back, I can see how myself, my daughter, and even my alcoholic's family, mother, father and daughter and everybody else there was really, really affected, you know. I can see it now, but then I had no idea. And well, we were lucky. God was our life, like always. Not that I was quite aware of it, but God was there and my daughter came out okay. We were so fortunate, we had the best surgeon in that hospital and he was just there that one week and I don't know, like I say, there's always God and there's a blessing and yes, he was there. My daughter got the surgery, she came out okay and she was able to walk. That doctor told me if I would have waited a couple more days, she would have probably never walked because that, that leg would have been stiff. It was okay. And then we were in the military, so the military picked up most of the cars too. That worked pretty nice. The only problem we had, we had to come up with medication the medication was quite expensive. And, you know, military income is not that much and my babysitting wasn't that much. So we were in need of about a couple hundred dollars. And stupid me, I said to my husband, yeah, why don't you ask your family? Because hey, I know my family always helps. That's what family do. So I asked him that. And you know, he didn't like it too much. But yes, he did. He called his mom and he said, Mom, could you borrow us the $200 for the medicine? for now because we had to pay it first and then the military gave it back to us later and soon as I get my paycheck I will give it to you. I need it for Christy for that medication. She need to have it. And that's when reality hit. That's when I first know that my family is not like everybody else's family because that mother told us, I'm so sorry, but you know I have, I have bills. I just can't do it. It just doesn't work. And she was rattling on and on and telling about her problems and everything else. And it was very discouraging and a reality check. It made me be aware of it. Hey, people may care. They may tell you, but they sure don't. She didn't. And it was okay. I was on my phone to my mom and I said, Mom, you just can't believe what's going on over here. And sure enough, I mean, she sent that money as fast as she could. It was in, a, in my checking... It had a few days and there was not a problem there. 
And like I say, I always was able to count on my family. I thought, that's what family is there for. If you need help, if you need advice, hey, you go to them, right? Well, I learned that one. You can do it to your own, but you're not doing it to your house. So I never did. And it was pretty okay, I think. And I've continued on. Um, we finished the military time down in Georgia. And we stayed in Georgia. We stayed just a while longer. And I'm not quite sure why I was. Because there was nothing down there that was really appealing. It was hot, it was human, there was bugs. People were not friendly at all. And money, I don't know. You didn't make much money. But we stayed down there. We stayed down there and we opened a business. And I think that must be some like, <laughs> you know, I mean, reality is you can't do it, but yes, you will try it anyway. So we did. We started a small business, or better my husband did. We opened a small business in out of repair. And I started working right down the road in a cleaners. And my daughter was by this time about three years old. So she went with my husband to work every day. And it was cool. They got dressed in the morning. My daughter had her overalls and a toolbox. And my husband had her overall and a toolbox. And he went to work. And we did that for about a year. And you know, even then I should have thought. Because my husband had one guy working with him. And you know, that guy always drink coffee. And he smoked a lot of cigarettes. He never had a beer. And then I always thought, oh, isn't that strange? Because see, when we were done, or even not done, my husband drank beer. That guy didn't. You know, looking back at it, it was somebody sent from God to take care of us. Because he used to have a drinking problem, we just didn't know it. And he was a really nice person. So he was a good guy to be one day, and he helped out. And you know, not everything fell apart quite yet, because there was help. We stayed down there and the business started picking up and everything started going okay. But my daughter started growing and she was close to being four. And the question came up, she needs a good education. Uh, she needs to go preschool and school. And you know, schools in Georgia are not good either. The education is just pretty poorly. And those people who were down there were not nice. And I couldn't imagine my kid going to that school. You know, and by that time too I was thinking about it. And my husband evidently too. He thought, oh, if something happened to one of us, well, there is no family, there is no help, you know, there is nothing. I mean, we could both be in an accident, you know, negative thinking could happen. What is the kid going to do, you know? So he thought, well, we really need to think about something different. We still put it off. But you know, then the business started getting broken into, batteries got removed from the cars. Um, it was not in such a good neighborhood, you know. Down the streets there was fights going on. And then one morning there was a bank down the road. There was a shooting in the bank. An ex-fiancé came in and just killed the woman. He decided, heck with you. If you don't care for me, I don't care for you. I just blow you away. He did. And we had a couple of drive-by shootings. And you know, looking at all of that and raising a kid and you really try the best you can, it was not a good place to be. It definitely wasn't. Drinking or not would make no difference, it was a bad place. So we decided to move closer to family. And I guess what family we picked? We picked the family and Wyoming. And you know, I like Wyoming. 
Casper's pretty terrific. My husband put it to me like that. He said, you know what, honey? We better move to my family. It's closer. Well, now I was stupid, but everything made sense to me. And we moved to Casper, Wyoming, because my grandpa was in Casper, Wyoming. We needed them close by. The family, mom and dad, lived in Riverton. You know, it's far enough away to visit. Uh, but, you know, it's not that close. They're not going to be there every day. That's what he explained to me. Because somehow, he didn't like his family very much. And with my naive mind, I just thought, must be denied. He really loves his family. He just doesn't tell me, you know. And I told him that too. I said, you know, your family needs to come over. We need to have Christmas together and stuff like that. And yes, we did that. We had one family Christmas. Everybody came to our house. And it was a disaster. There was my mother-in-law, who was divorced. There was my father-in-law with her lover. There was my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law. And you know, the amazing part is, and I don't know, I don't know how that is, but you know, it seems like some families don't talk. So they put on a really cool face. That Christmas looked really good. Everybody was social, everybody was nice. And I thought in my mind, oh, you know, that's maybe not that bad. You know, maybe that family is really closer. David just doesn't know. How stupid of me to say it that way. <laughs> well, we survived that Christmas. It looked okay. But you know, sure enough, a couple of days after that, we got a letter from my mother-in-law, and I will never forget that. I kept it for the longest time because I'm not alone. You know, I have to keep resentments. Every time I looked at this letter, that <laughs> I ran over backwards to do all of that, and she sent me that. That woman was mad. She was upset. She couldn't believe how come that I did that to her, invited her to our house, and her ex-husband is there with a the girlfriend, so she really took that serious, and she was really mad about that. And I thought, okay, well, life goes on, and my husband keeps on telling me, keep your mouth shut, stay out of the business, mind your business. I didn't get it. I just didn't get it, you know. I thought it was my business to be in that business and keep that family together, because it was not a close family, you know. And I don't know what I thought. But like I say, my parents raised me with a really big ego and a lot of self-esteem, and I had it then. And I thought I could pull it up, you know, I thought I'd get it together, which I didn't, of course not. Why would I? That family had resentments for 30 years. They had a fight somewhere. You know, nobody knows what it was about anymore. But they wouldn't talk with the grandparents because there was some going on 30 years ago. That should have given them an idea, you know, I mean, I should have seen and known. Hey, there's not a thing you can do. What do you think, you know? Well, I tried anyway. And life went on. And it was an interesting life, as <laughs> well it was. Oh well. Up here in, in Wyoming, it was nice. The good thing was, there was family. The grandparents are adorable. They're still terrific. They loved me and the kid, like always, and they were always helpful. The family itself was a kind of strange, but it's my opinion. I would say they're probably really nice and average, but I expect more, it just didn't happen. And we did get employed up here, of course. My husband got a job right away because he was into cars and he had a diesel degree and a master degree. And, and he was good. I mean, he was smart. He was really good. 
So he got employed right away when we came up here in Wyoming, and I was, I think, 89, we came up here. And, you know, that was the time in June um, when I had to leave because my mom passed away. And that was one of those things, you know. You never think your parents ever leave you. So my mom died on me. That's what I sometimes thought of that girl. She really died on me. How could she do that to me, you know? But there, there was no choice in the matter. I mean, you take what you get and you try to make the best out of it. I learned that now. So well, my husband had a job and I and my daughter went back home to bury my mom. And you know, I really think I kept my life special busy so I didn't have to see and didn't have to really realize or didn't have to look at myself to see what was really going on. Because you know, that was the time, looking back now, when I seen that alcoholism really showed his ugly face. It just, it just came in there more, you know, because the drinking got more. Well, I went home with my daughter and brought my mom, which was the saddest deal I had to do. In a way, it was funny. My mom was Catholic. My dad was not. And my dad didn't know how my mom wanted to be burnt. I guess people really need to talk about that. I learned that now too. So well, my dad, a good person he was, cremated my mom. And I had the understanding, you don't do that to a Catholic. But he did. So my mom got cremated. And we burnt her. And my daughter and I, we went to the gravesite. You know, when you take that little cute box and put her down. So I told my daughter, as small as she was, I say, well, Christy, we're going to bury O. She called her grandma O. I say, we're going to bury O today. And we did. Like I say, in a way, it was a sad deal. And the other hand, it was a happy deal because my mom was really ill for over a year and it was not a good time for her. So, but the, the fun part, in a way, was the priest that came out with my mom in her little cute container and the only thing my daughter was able to say she looked and she said oh, what happened to oh look how small she is and everybody thought that was so hilarious you know and it was so funny and it was like I say you know God is always there and he always put that silver lining in that cloud you know with that little kid the highlight of my life you know everybody else was uplifted and you know it wasn't too bad because my mom was at peace and she went where she needed to go. And you know, in my life she's always there. I know I'm a part of her and I always say she's looking right over my shoulder and saying, oh my gosh, why did you do that? I say, yes mom, I know, but I have to learn on my own. And you know, I learned it in Al-Anon, everybody says it now. You learn when your time is right. You learn in your time. And I'm slow, gosh, I'm slow. Sometimes I wish I was faster, but it's not going to happen, I'm just slow. Oh well, we went to that part, we brought my mom, and I went back home, and you know, I just know my family back home got smaller, and I guess the family appears, my family, I tried really hard, and life went on, drinking went more. My husband used to go out after work and drink with the guys. Uh, he used to play a lot of pool and drink with the guys, and I went to that part, he called me up in the middle of the night and he said, you know, I'm trying, could you come and pick me up? Hey, I was that good wife, of course I went and picked him up. I couldn't leave that poor guy stranded, he was wasted. So I did, I picked him up. And it went on and on like that, you know. 
and that was still somewhat okay. We bought a little house, we moved in it, and we bought that house because it had two garages. That was the main thing. Looking back, you know, makes me wonder what I was thinking. But we lived in that house for quite a while. Mm, my husband seemed to have problems at work at that time. Work was slow, like he always said. Work wasn't right. He came home, he complained, and it seemed like it was another reason for him to go out and rewind and drink some more. You know, and he was saying that on and on, and it's not that good, and it's getting bad. And if I only had my own business, I could work hard, I could do good, and it would be better. And I believed that. I said, okay, dear, if that's what you want, get your own business. And we should have known it's not going to work, but yes, we did. We got that own business. And you know, with our own business, what you think it's so funny? There's different responsibilities, and I got explained if you have your own business, you have to sit after work, visit with the customers, and drink. That's what you do. And everybody's bringing a six-pack, and you all sit and drink. And I thought, okay, strangest thing, but you know, I'm not at home. And I didn't have really good friends who could tell me, hey, what are you doing, don't you? I didn't learn that yet, you know, I just know. We didn't do that at home, but I guess if you do that, you do that, you know. And he did. And you know, it was hilarious. It was funny. It went to that point. Every night around six o'clock, he called me. He said, honey, I'm closing up right now. I'm leaving. I'll be right home. And I thought, oh, cool. He's home for dinner. Uh-huh. Dinner was ready. My husband never showed up. And you know, it used to be first, I was very concerned. I was really wondering. I thought, oh, my gosh. Somebody hit him over there, he killed him, he took his money, he's laying, he's dying. I really thought so, you know. But you know, then it was about 10, 11 o'clock, and I thought, no, I don't think he's dead. If he's dead, the cops would have called me. <laughs> so he wasn't dead, but he wasn't home, you know. And then it was about midnight, and I thought, oh my God, he has a girlfriend. And I couldn't figure out which one. I was thinking, I thought, wow. And you know, by the time when he came home, two, three o'clock in the morning, I was still awake in bed. I was mad. I was furious. I was ready to kill the guy. And I couldn't. I had to act like I was asleep because I didn't want to know that he knew that I was awake. <laughs> so I did. And you know, like I say, looking back, what idiotic head games. You know, what was I thinking? I wasn't thinking. I was so sick in my mind. The nights he stayed out, I called the boss. And I believe a lot of you ladies know how that works. You call the bar, you get that guy. You say, hey, is my David there? And that guy says, yeah, of course not. I say, yeah, sure, you lied to me. Of course he's sitting there, he's just telling you no. And you know, you have an argument with somebody you never know, with somebody you never seen. Because in my sick mind, I know he wasn't a bar. Looking back at it now, I know he wasn't. Because he was dead silent at home drinker, you know. He was not a bar person. I sure was convinced about it. He was there. That was amazing. I made calls to Germany. I called my sister. I said, hey, what should I do? It's 2 o'clock in the morning. He's not home. Long distance. She could do something right. <laughs> I'm telling you. My mind was way, way gone. And you know, at the time it makes sense. I heard a car coming home at night. And I just know, that's him. And I run to the window. I know it wasn't him because he had a bigger engine in the car, you know, it couldn't be him. But it was my mind, you know, my mind was so gone, my mind was so twisted. And first there was a lot of fury in me, I was just mad. I was so mad about that person not being home. 
And I really thought there was the problem. He was just not home, you know. I never think he was not home because he was drinking. I just he was I thought he was not home. And that's when I learned be careful for what you wish for. I start wishing he was at home. I really thought I said, if he only would be at home, it would be so much better. Everything would be okay. You know, like looking back now, if I say, if you only would quit drinking, everything would okay. I wouldn't be, because I still think, I mean, I'm still the same person. It would have been hell. And yes, it was. It was bad. But like I was saying, life became really, really bad. I don't know if you guys ever had that feeling, but you know, I hated to go home. I worked every weekend, and I told my husband I had to. I just couldn't handle it at home anymore. I couldn't stay there. I couldn't. It was terrible. It was awful. It was sickening. There was so much static in the air. You walk into the house and you, you know it kind of ducked because you know something's going to explode any minute. You just did not know what it was. And nobody wanted to talk to that alcoholic because if you looked at him, he pulled up at you. And I had no idea why. I mean, we had instances, which like I say, now it is funny. And I guess at some time, alcoholism maybe is funny, but it truly is not. We had that time. My daughter and I were sitting in the kitchen eating. And my alcoholic came up from downstairs. He pretty much left downstairs. It was a cool room, you know. He came up. He was standing in that kitchen door. And he yelled and screamed at me. And then he turned around and left. And I thought, oh my gosh, I missed the whole conversation. I had no idea. You know? And with my mind, I, I still try to figure out what was going on. You know? I looked at it and I thought, what am I doing wrong? He hates me. There is something I'm doing wrong, you know? And then comes that, you know, like, if I clean better, if I cook better, if I look better, if I change everything around, everything will be better. I tried it. Like I say, it took me about another almost five years. It's like a roller coaster ride. It was amazing. And like I said, it made sense. That's the frightening part. It all made perfect sense. I was the idiot and it made sense. See, I didn't have an excuse. I did not have a bottle in my hand. I wasn't drunk. I was the sober one. Isn't that frightening? That's bad. That's when my daughter got it from. She was terrified of mother. Daddy was the one driving, drunk. And she was terrified of me, the sober one. I understand. That's why she's so grateful for the poker. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh well, I'm not even sure where I'm at my time. Oh gosh, I'm going over. Let me hurry that up. Um, like I was saying, you know, I mean, life became literally hell. And that's my opinion. Because see, my alcoholic thought everything was fun. Can you But you know, we were not. We were not. I thought we had life. I thought we were married. But I was married and he was messing around. And I don't know why I thought that alcoholic I was married to does not lie and does not, does not cheat. You know? Alcoholics do what alcoholics do. They drink. And mine lie and mine cheat. Somehow I didn't believe mine wouldn't do that. And I don't know why. But yes, he did. Yes, he did. And life went on and life went bad. And there was a couple instances like that one time. He came home somewhere in the middle of the night. He walked up, 
He got my daughter's clothes out of the closet. He took my daughter out of bed. And he told me he is leaving. And you know, I came totally out of the blue. I had no idea. I don't even know we had an argument. I know nothing. And you know, that was reality. That scared the daylight out of me. That he could come in in his drunken mind and take my kid and leave. That frightens me so bad. After that, we went to family counseling. That did it. Gosh, that was an adventure. He was very remorseful. I was very happy. We went to counseling and life is getting better. That counselor never asked, is anybody drinking? Is there any problem? He said, you haven't fired for divorce yet and you come and see me? He was so proud of himself. You know, he said that really never happened. Usually you fight for divorce and then you see counseling. I didn't want a divorce. I just want a decent life, you know. And that guy was saying in front of my husband, you know, she doesn't ask for much. If you just come home, stay home, mind your business, your life is fine. I think we had about three sessions and he sent us home and he said, hey, you guys are okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Wasn't it, Sam? Everything I always wanted. Just do what I say, you know. I don't even want that anymore, but yes, it sounded really good then, you know, or make fun. I don't know. It didn't work. It didn't work. He honestly tried the hardest to do and be a good husband. But you know, he was a full-blown alcoholic. And he did what alcoholics do. He drunk. And I did what I did. I was crazy. I was totally nuts. And I believed it. He lied. And I went to that point. I wasn't sure no more about reality. There was that one incident, which was way funny. In the middle of the night, he got up, took a shower, got dressed, left. Came back a couple hours later, lay down and went to sleep. Well, I never was now known, I had no idea what it's like. Sure enough, I woke up and I said, what in the world are you doing? You live in a house in the middle of the night? Where in the world did you went to? I wanted to know. And you know what he said? Honey, you must be mistaken. I haven't left. I haven't been nowhere. I've been here all the time. I said, but come on, look at you. You changed your clothes. You don't have your uniform on. They said, oh, no, no, no. I'm here all along. By this time, my mind was so wired and so sick, I wasn't sure. I started to believe him. Can you believe it? I was bad. I was really bad. I know I needed help. I know I needed help then. And that was the time when everything got really so bad that I was truly thinking about suicide. Somehow in my mind, I believe it's going to go like this for the rest of my life. I'm going to live like that. I will never be able to change it. The only thing I can feel is pain. And I don't want to be there and I can't be there. And I just know that was it. That was my reality. And then I tried to think in my mind, how can I commit suicide so it is clean my daughter is not going to find me, and my husband feels really guilty because it was all his fault. <laughs> now tell me, is that sick or what? I think it's sick. It really is. Well, I was fortunate. God was in my life. And my husband went hunting, and we didn't went along, and he called us from that hunting trip and said, My dear, I just find out I'm alcoholic. <laughs> and you know, for me, that sounded like, hey, that's the solution. 
he's alcoholic. Whatever it is we do, he's not going to be that no more, and our life is going to be fine, and everything is going to fall in place. I do have that picket by fence, and my life, it's okay. And then, you know, you look at it and you say, it's not that bad yet. And I've learned not to say that anymore. Life got really bad then. You know, then when life really started, that's when it happened. Recovery or treatment. Treatment started. My husband went to a lot of treatments and I started all and all. And you know, that's why I'm such a grateful member. Alan saved my life. Alan gave me a life. Alan gave me what I have. I'm kind of almost okay. I feel pretty good now. And you know, I feel, and that's different too. My, that was, that was amazing. Well, well, like I was saying, my husband went to treatment and I went to Alan. The first couple of treatments, I had my hopes up. I just know, you know, he's going to go in there, he's going to get sober, he's going to work whatever he has to be doing, which I did not know what it was then, and I do what I have to be doing, it will be okay. You know, I didn't. Alcoholism is a disease. It's addictive. It takes over. It's going to be the most important part in people's life. And I was not alcohol, so it didn't work. My husband chose to buy and I went to Alana and chose a good life. We had a lot of ups and downs. My husband tried to commit suicide. And, you know, we lived through all of that. And the only reason why I was able to do that because I had Alana, I had a program, I had help, I had members, I had AAs. We used to go to the old 1224 club. Every time it was the last and we didn't know what, we went there and we found members to talk to. We had people, we had support. We were able to cope. I was able to turn around my life, to live the 12 steps, to have the 12 traditions, to have a life, to be happy with a drunk alcoholic at home. And you know, that was the hardest thing to learn. I always thought I had to look how he looks. So when he got up in the morning, if he was looking bad, I had to look bad. Because I couldn't smile, he wasn't smiling. See, I had to learn. I was allowed to have life. I was allowed to have a higher power in my life again. I lost somewhere in between. And I was allowed to have friends and to work the program. I know my husband worked really, really hard. He went to a lot of treatments. He went to a lot of sad times. He went to a lot of down times. I cannot imagine I'm not alcoholic. I've seen it in his eyes. He was dying on me, and I know it. He became violent, and life was really bad. I remember one evening, he came to the house because he was moving out on his own, and yes, he did. He started moving everything out he thought he needed, and I thought it wouldn't work, let's not do that. I called the cops, and you know, I found out. He lives there like I live there, and yes, he can do that. So he did. So it didn't leave me much of a chance and fear of my life, my little belongings, which I don't care anymore now. I had to file for the wants and I had to file for a restraining order. And that's when life came really interesting. I did not know that I dealt with a person like that, but he was amazing. One night, 
He couldn't contact us or nothing. But yes, he was speaking with his daughter on the phone. Because like I say, he was still fine. We always loved that person. I always loved that person. He was a terrific person. He was just sick, you know. But like that one night, that's when I know how bad it went. It was about 10, 11 o'clock at night. There was a knocking on the door. And my daughter freaked out. My daughter started yelling and screaming, that's daddy, that's daddy. And she ran in the bedroom and locked herself in. And that was a kid with a daughter, daddy. Daddy was her life. She loved daddy more than everything. And that's what I know. We on the end. It can't be that way. It couldn't be that way. But he did. He called the cops on me to send them over to the house to check on the welfare of his daughter because he couldn't visit her. It was a kind of a harassing thing, you know. He couldn't harass us, so he sent the cops. So, of course, I gave the cops the phone number. The cops called him right then and told him to knock it off. What she did. But like I say, life didn't went much better. Uh, we finally, or better, well, I decided with my daughter and myself, we got that divorce. We finally got divorced. I had the divorced alcoholic. I never doubt I would. We were married for 15 years and we did have a divorce. And you know, to cut it all short because I know you guys are tired, I'm sorry. But you know, after the divorce, I took over all the bills and all that because I know he would never take care of it and I have to take care of it. Because he's going to have me anyway, so I might as well get it cleaned up. So I took my responsibility and everything else and I went on with my life and I tried the hardest. And of course, our alcoholic David was still in contact with us. He used to call us every week. He used to talk with his daughter. He tried hard. He got two DOIs within seven months. We even visited him in jail. That was a sad thing too. But you know, life just was never the same. And that's like I said earlier, when I learned not to say it's not that bad yet, it got even worse. Not only did I have to divorce my husband, we lost the business, we lost everything. Financially, we were totally wrong. And I believe a couple of you can imagine what alcoholism can do. It wipes you out all the way. Financial, emotional, everything. There was nothing left. There was nothing left to give. And you know, I still had hope. I learned to come to open AA meetings, and I learned in our meetings, as long as that person is alive, there is hope. I never lost hope. I always had hope. And that was probably somewhat helped me to go where I had to go, you know, because there was hope. He was alive. And I know he's going to stay sober for a year, and we get back together, and then we're going to have that family. Right on. Didn't work either. You know, in my life, uh, turned out to be my greatest fears I ever had came true. And the only reason I was able to live through it and make it through it was because of my higher power, because of the Alma members and because of the AA members. Because it was December 25, 1998, David committed suicide. And my hope was gone. He killed himself. You know? It was amazing. I never expected something like this could happen, you know? I thought, he's alive, he's there, it's going to be okay. My hope was destroyed. And his life was gone. And that's where we were. And you know, without Alman, my life would have been an end. Without AA, I wouldn't be. But you know, I learned, some have to die so others can live. And that's what he did. He did. 
sorry. And you know what? The letter you wrote to his daughter, he wrote it there, honey, I didn't kill myself. I saved somebody's life. Because he knew when he was driving drunk, he would kill that family and he couldn't love it himself. That was his solution. Like I say, alcoholism is deadly, it kills. And there's so little but survive. I'm grateful to be here. I'm happy to see all those people, and I'm grateful for you guys listening to me. And I'm sorry it took up so much of your time, but I truly appreciate it. And I hope to see you again. Thank you very much, and we God bless you.